Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than The Undertaker wrestling for WWF. It's been 30 years. If you know, you know. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And we are back. Yes, it's been a while. I know it's been a while since I've been able to say that intro since I've been able to talk 90s football with my pals, actually. But we're back for a brand new series. I'm not going to bore you with why we haven't been around, um, but I'm sure you can guess what we've seen lockdown and work commitments. We took a break, basically, but we are back now and we've got episodes in the can. So we're not going anywhere for the moment. And on the, well, not the eve, because we're already in it, aren't we? Now we're in lockdown too. Hopefully the New series will perk you up a little bit, give you something to listen to on your podcast platform. You know, Lockdown 2 is probably the the worst sequel since, I don't know, Aladdin Return of Jafar. That's as 90s I could think of. I actually want to say Anchorman 2 because that is the worst sequel of all time. But obviously it's not very 90s. Anyway, what's new and what's the same on the brand new series of Alive and Kicking? Well... The same as we're talking 90s football, of course. The same as you've got me as your host and, of course, my regular pals in Matthew Christ and Jolinio. Um, and we'll be doing all the usual nonsense about Janinho, um, Brian McClare, who gets a lot of love on this episode, actually. But all that you come to expect from the original 1990s podcast, the podcast that never forgets or wasn't aware of something that happened in 90s football, unlike other outlets. Hmm. But what's new? Uh, new is that we've today we're starting a kind of new theme for certain episodes. So I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, we've got a new feature as well that we're calling the 90s broom cupboard. So yeah, look forward to that. And new in that we are trying to be as more regular as we possibly can to keep you going across lockdown, across Christmas and into 2021, which will be what, 31 years since 1990? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on today's show, we've got myself, we've got Jolinho, Joel Young, we've got Matthew Chris and a special guest, TV presenter, Sam Homewood, and we're starting a series called Our 90s. Now, for anyone who's long-time listeners, and I say this at the top of the show, when we get new guests on, we usually ask them their 90s CV, which is a couple of questions just about their fandom of whatever team they support. We're expanding it for the new series. We're giving you a whole episode of their 90s likes and dislikes from their own team. Uh, today is Sam, and as it's the 90s, quite apt that we start with Manchester United as they dominated the decade. Don't, no, don't, don't, don't press that stop button. Stay with us, stay with us. Yes, it's a Man United-themed episode, but as always, there's tangents galore uh, on here, including a mention of G.I. Joe. Yeah, I think there is, yeah. So, yeah, stick with us. Sam's got some great memories of the 90s, and obviously the usual boys have got some great tangents to go on as well. Um, we've got a few more of these to come as well. I think they're really a different way for a different guest to to look upon the 90s and their their team and how they fared in that decade. So stick with that. Uh, we've got some great superstar guests as well in terms of footballers from the past in the pipeline. On next week's episode, you'll be hearing from Lars Bohinen former Nottingham Forest and Blackburn player. And there's a few more irons in the fire as well. So I look forward to that. Anyway, let's get on with the first episode then. Um, I don't know what series is this because we never really broke down the ones before. So let's just go with new series, new episode, episode one of Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast. 
Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Welcome to Alive and Kicking. Oh, it's so good to say those words once again. We're back for a brand new series with all the regulars and a few bells and whistles that we've changed as well. We are the original 1990s football podcast. So thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, we're starting something slightly new today, which I'll get to um, in just a second. But first, let me introduce who we've got on the show today. Firstly, they're always here. They are Alive and, Alive and Kicking gang, the regulars. Firstly, Mr. Joel Young, who's been here since day one. Day one. Day one. Day one-ish, as, a, as another podcast would say. Um, social media mogul, head of the Janino fan club. How are you doing, Joel? Exactly, yeah. I, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, everything's all right. I'm enjoying the calm and peace of the lockdown. And if you believe, believe anything. Yeah, I, I don't believe. You and calm and peace don't exactly go hand in hand normally, do they? No. no. <laughs> uh, alongside him, he is a, a writer and, and well, blogger I suppose of many plethora of outlets. Um, he's Brian McClare's best mate, of course he is. Uh, Mr Matthew Christ, how you doing? Uh, hello, good to be back. You say we're always here but I think this is the uh, first time we've all been on a show for some time isn't it? It was. Back in the spring? Yeah, it's the first show since I think July which um, I won't bore people with whys and ins and outs because it's just it's just lockdown and all that so but Yes, we're back. We've got a brand new series. Matthew's back, Joel's back, and we've got a special guest today as well. Um, excited about this one, and there will be a disclaimer about the episode in just a minute, but let me introduce him. He, you may know him if you're a football fan uh, from MUTV. Uh, if you've got little ones, you'll definitely know him from loads of different kids' TV shows, especially one he's about to launch, which has a 90s twist to it, I believe, which we'll talk to that's about. True. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Sam Homewood, how are you doing, Sam? I'm great, thank you. How are you, Ash? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Um, what I'm referring to is you're launching How. Yeah, yeah. For the, the third iteration of How. For the third iteration of How. Yeah. So for me, was my, I think my Carol Vorderman, Gaz Top, was that the second mm-hmm. one? Yes, that was How too. So the original one, I think, started in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and may even have made it to the 80s, I'm not sure. And then How too did the 90s and a bit of the noughties. Yeah. And then we're going again as How from Sunday. Sunday. Oh, good timing then. So you're not yeah. how three though, you're just how. No, it's just how. It's just yeah. How. Okay, that's good. Oh, great. What happened to Gazdop? Where happened to him? I, um, I, went to a fun- I went to a function with him a couple of years ago, actually. In, oh, um, how in, random. In, in, North, in North Wales. In, uh, was it Prestatin or uh, Landidno? It was in Landidno. It was um, oh, okay. an event for the alarm and he was hosting it. He was the, uh, the compare. So okay. he's very much, he's very much alive and, well. That's alive and kicking. Yeah. He's alive and kicking. Yeah, good. Well done. Um, right. What we're going to do today then, um, especially because Sam is our special guest. Um, Long time listeners might know that when we have new guests on here, we normally do what we call the 90 CV. For the new series, I thought I'd expand on that a little bit and make them, we'll go a bit more in depth on our guest fandom and we can chip in with our own opinions and thoughts of what they choose. So we're kind of calling this our 90s. And disclaimer, here it is. This is a very Man United-centric episode, which is fine because they dominate the decade and we've spoke about it a lot on here, but we're trying to get a few news twists and turns on it. I'm sure Sam will provide us that. So, 
Sam's going to be the driving force. We've got a lot of questions to ask him. Um, obviously, Matthew, being our resident main night fan, will chip in. Uh, and me and Joel will be uh, a light entertainment, I suppose, won't we, on uh, on this podcast. But... I've got my feet up already. Yeah, we're just kind of Fine. listening. Yeah. Fine. All I, right. I... I need to mention, by the way, me and Sam, you know, we spent a wonderful summer, summer of 2016, Euro 2016. Yeah. Trapped in a basement together in Tottenham Court Road, whilst he was the presenter of oh God, what was it? I even forgot it was Full Time Devils. No, it was. Uh, I think it was the Football Republic, and that was it was it. like the Euros watch along uh, show, and we would eat food and have drink and stuff from the countries that were playing to try to offer some sort of um, uh, cultural education to those watching yes. that maybe didn't know about sauerkraut or something yeah we we had some particularly gruesome food we drank some really gruesome drinks and that room you've got to remember this is in the basement of the Fremantle uh, building in Tottenham Court Road it was basically a broom cupboard that we lived in I mean they call the BBC the broom cupboard but this actually was like a broom cupboard cleaning cupboard and we stayed there for about four weeks in 2016 I watched England go out when I should have been watching Richard Herry interviewed Vic Reeves, but that's my dedication to Sam and to everybody else who worked on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had a nice time. Yeah, it's very Football Republic, because I remember the, the, the sort of video. No, that's what it was, yeah, it was the Football fun. Republic. Yeah, yeah. I, I did some work for them myself, a few bits and bobs, but yeah, I mean, that sort of food cross-football thing sounds very of, the, of that YouTube era for the Football Republic. So yeah, I'm sure you've got I wouldn't some... care. I talked to Neil Smythe, who we've had on before. Neil yeah. was like the big boss of it all. <laughs> And Neil said, everybody's doing the watch-alongs now. Sky Sports were doing the watch-alongs. Yeah. The main, and I, I texted him and I just went, mate, have you seen this? He was like, oh, yeah, we were four years too early. But anyway. Yes, indeed. Pioneers. Pioneers. <laughs> Absolute pioneers. So, uh, Neil now the hashtag United, I believe. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the kids. That one's for the kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely no hashtag United in, in the 90s. Uh, well, that, that's talk. 90s then so we've got a few categories that we're going to quiz sam on about his fandom um again i say we'll chip in i'll try not to mention new year's day 1992 when queen's fight rangers bit me oh there we go clang um, no if you don't i probably will <laughs> <laughs> get that out of the way early um and let's kick off sam um so this mm. one is normally the easiest one possible uh, favorite yeah. 90s player at Old uh so i because now I don't know if you want people to know or not, but obviously you sent me the questions in advance so that I was aware of what I was going to have to answer. And I want to be as honest as I can be because I wasn't very old in the 90s. Well, I was going to come to that and I didn't want to offend you or not offend you. So no, it's it, fine. Tell us. what. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I was born in 88. Okay. Oh, so okay, yeah. I, so I, was, I lived through all of the 90s, yeah. but there's lots of things that I don't remember, but <laughs> happened. And I'm not going to try to claim that those events and those things are my favourite things from the 90s yeah. because they're things I've learned about as an adult or as, a, as an older football fan, yeah. say, in my teens or whatever. Um, and the, the footballer, probably, who was my favourite, who was more 90s than others, was Peter Schmeichel. Oh, well, if you're going to start anywhere, I mean... Not only yeah. the greatest goalkeeper of the 90s, but greatest goalkeeper possibly the Premier League has ever seen. So, Good it, argument for it. Why, uh, why Big Pete was for you then? 
Um, I don't know why, but when I was younger, I uh, was a goalkeeper. Okay. You're quite and a tall I, man, though, aren't you? Yeah, I'm six foot three. Yeah. But I, up until about the age of eight or something, like, like just my formative years in football were, I'll be the goalkeeper. That's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, and then at some point, I was like, no, this is rubbish. I actually want to kick the ball and stop picking it out of the net. So, <laughs> transition. But just, the, so the first player, I guess, I watched that I was like, this guy's amazing, um, was Peter Schmeichel. And I always wanted to get his Roish goalkeeping gloves that he had. Classic. I don't know if anybody remembers those. Oh, yeah. But they were like before the, the like Adidas finger saves and all that kind of stuff. There were the, the, his Royce gloves. And I lived in a tiny little town with about eight people and seven sheep. And there was nowhere that I could ever get them anywhere nearby. But that's what I wanted probably like for every birthday and Christmas for a couple of years consistently was just those specific goalie gloves. Um, Have you bought uh, them yeah. now, Sam? Now that you no, I, well, I haven't. I mean, I, I keep myself as far away from goal as possible. <laughs> so no. <laughs> Uh, but he was, he was, I mean, the other thing is he was so good and he made so many saves that, I mean, I think the, the role of goalkeepers has changed so much, especially even just over the last few years and what goalkeepers are required to do, especially with their feet and stuff. But he made so many saves that he had no right to save. And when you see like David De Gea as an example, making those great saves, because especially around sort of 2016, 2017, he was routinely pulling off saves that would be contenders for save of the season any other year. And he was doing it all the time. But David De Gea is, is a tall man, but he's, he's quite slight. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Peter Schmeichel is a big man. Yeah. Like, and he would Ooh. just launch himself yeah. around. Yeah, and he was so brave. And do you remember the, um, the, 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 the time that him and Ian Wright met the ball at the same yeah. time and burst it? <laughs> yeah. I I don't get that Pete. now no definitely but that's more Pete than Ian as well that, is yeah, that feels like a very 90s football thing that you'd yeah. smash the ball they probably test that when, when they whatever egonomics they have of the new balls yeah. have to write about the roundest ball we've ever yeah. seen yeah exactly how can a ball be more rounder than, than that Matthew that's chipping with you obviously Peter Schmeichel easy kind of to revel in his greatness that Sam's done there the starfish is obviously he's something he invented we've seen his son do it the greatest goalkeeper for Man United that you've seen, surely? Yeah, oh, without a doubt. And the best there's ever been, I think. I mean, uh, uh, another 90s podcast that apparently exists that I happened to listen to the other day was... Uh, I know that one. Claiming that... Um, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. But they were claiming that Neville Southall was the greatest goalkeeper ever in the, in the Premier League stroke first division. I, I, I just can't agree with that. I mean, I know Southall was a great goalkeeper, but I remember having this exact same conversation back in the day when I first came on and did my CV and I'm trying desperately to remember who I chose as my uh, my number one player we'll have to look it up but yeah go to the archive it, it was pro it was probably Brian McClare but um a shoot but Peter <laughs> yeah. Schmeichel definitely <laughs> Schmeichel definitely got a mention for this reason because I said at the time he completely revolutionized the way people you know goalkeepers acted I mean a lot of the time in the late 80s some of the early 90s goalkeepers would stay on their line they would be expected to save shots, tip it around the post, around the over the bar, and then hoof it down the pitch. Whereas when I remember seeing Schmeichel's first game for United, his debut at Old Trafford against Notts County, and uh, everyone was just in awe of the way he would, um, you know, he wouldn't just make great saves, but it, it was just the way he would command that box. And and I remember uh, I'll, I'll drop his name again, but um, Brian McClare once said that when United conceded a corner, even though they were battering teams, if the if the opposition happened to get a corner against them, which was quite unusual. They, th they saw that as a, a potential to attack because they would all line up in a defensive position for the corner. 
knowing for full well that Schmeichel would come out nine times out of ten, claim the ball, and as soon as the ball was in his hands, they would charge up the field. He would throw it, not he wouldn't usually kick it, but he'd usually launch it, and within three seconds they were on the attack. So it was they the team was actually aware aware of this, so they would actually launch their attacks from defending a corner and, and just things like that. Whereas you remember watching football in the late 80s and early 90s, a lot of the time the keeper would collect the ball and he would stand with it for five, six, seven seconds, roll it out and then launch it forward, And uh, which Schmeichel just never did. He was always thinking attacking-wise, even when he was the last line of defence, he was already thinking how he could launch an attack. And the amount of times United in their prime, um, you know, scored goals from defence because of Schmeichel's alertness. And uh, that's why I think he's revolutionary maybe not so much these days I mean players goalkeepers nowadays are much more about you know playing with their feet and coming yeah. out to the edge of the box and so Schmeichel was probably the first wave of revolutionizing goalkeeping whereas now players like Edison have, have changed it to a different level but um certainly you in the 90s his distribution distribution his his ability to throw a ball so yeah. accurately was yeah over, he, over the halfway line yeah as well. comfortably over the halfway line before it would bounce like that was yeah. that was a real talent yeah. Is yeah, that from was... a culture of playing handball in yeah, he played handball Denmark then? Yeah, yeah. So that's where that's that. from, the starfish. I'm doing a starfish for those listening or watching on Zoom. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did like a star. He did that, that whole thing came from handball, didn't it? So, yeah. yeah. And that really? alone, the starfish alone was something we'd never seen before. I mean, oh. A couple of great games. I remember Galatasaray away, he did one, he did one against City in a, a derby game. And it was, you just thought, what the hell? How did that not go in? You know, and then you look back at the replay and you saw that he was, you know, instead of just standing there rigid like most keepers did, he, he just threw himself out there. And uh, now it's almost the norm. But back then it was like we'd never seen before. And that's why I stand by the fact he was the most, but well, the best goalkeeper of his era and the most uh, revolutionary. And uh, that's no offence well. to Neville Southall. Absolute bargain. I'm I can't remember the Yeah. Time, it was £60,000 from Bromley. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievably yeah. cheap. I met Neville Southall when I was a kid. Someone told me to go and get his autograph. And I didn't know who he was because I was a very small child. Yeah. But I remember this. They went, go see that. He's football. Go and ask him for his autograph. And I was like, okay. okay. And they went, when you, when you give him the, the piece of paper, tell him not to drop it. And I went, <laughs> why? I was like, why, why should I do that? And they were like, because he's, he's goalkeeper. It would be funny. So I passed him this paper, piece of paper. And I just went, well, don't drop it. With like no hint of a joke because I didn't get it. And he just looked at me and went, yeah, and then sort of patted me on the head and walked off. Sorry, Ash, go on. Hey, go on, go on, Joe. I was going to say, did he not give you any sort of lecture about uh, left-wing politics or anything yeah, like I, that? Yeah, <laughs> hold on, you can follow him on Twitter, definitely. I'd say he's more 80s, but, you know, going back to the... the yeah, of course he is, yeah. Uh, he was the 90s anyway, fantastic goalkeeper. My favourite thing of him, though, if you ever see the clip of Michael Owen as a... Just breaking yeah, yeah. through that one way... He kind of scored a goal against a kid and Neville Southall is just like furious with Michael Owen for celebrating yeah. that he scored a goal against a 12-year-old. It's, I'm sure... Like, well done, Michael. Yeah. He's 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Classic. Absolutely classic. Um, let's move on then. Um, plenty to choose from in our next category then. Um, Sam, favourite Man United goal from the 1990s? I'm, I'm so sure I, there's many that people are thinking of as I say it, but go on. What, what yeah, the, the, the first ones that came to mind were... Eric Cantona's uh, uh, chip, yeah. obviously set up by Brian McClare. Yeah. You're welcome, Matthew. Great. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, David Beckham against Wimbledon. Obviously, yeah. Set up by Brian McClare. Was that set up by Brian McClare as well? Yeah, it was, yeah. 
Ryan Giggs against Arsenal. Yeah. Was McClare playing in that game, Matthew? No, 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 no. I'm still going to give him credit for it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Giggs Arsenal. But also, other ones that I thought of that were great. In the game, in the year that United won the treble, in the final game of the season, because I think people forget that United still had to win against Spurs on the last day of the season to win win the Premier League. People just think, oh, that was wrapped up, they had the FA Cup final. Uh, And the two goals that we scored that day were both excellent. David Beckham... Hit a, it was like a free kick. He just yeah. hit like, and he was on the wrong side. Just a wonderful shot into the opposite top corner. And then Andy Cole, who had with like a, a control and a finish that was absolutely amazing. Um, Not really and equally, Andy Cole goal, uh, said, was it? Right, pardon. It wasn't really an Andy Cole. You know what goal is? No, it was. It was like it was. If Dennis Bergkamp had scored yes. it, everyone had been like, oh, it's so Dennis Bergkamp. What yes. a touch. What composure. <laughs> what a wonderful goal." Um, also, in the in the Arsenal semi final, Ryan Giggs scored his uh, his wonder goal. David Beckham in that match yeah. scored a sensational goal that sort of gets forgotten about. Mm. Um, but I think my uh, the one I'm going to pick is from that season, um, and I, this isn't what my answer was going to be. I've changed it now whilst we're talking. <laughs> I was going to pick the Ryan Giggs goal against yeah. Arsenal because Classic, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. But everybody knows it's great. Everybody's seen it a million times, and it's still special when you watch it. Um, but when United played against Juventus, I'm trying to remember, I want to get this right because I'm remembering the goal as I'm talking about it. Um, where, so United played Juventus, and when they went away, we went two 0 down almost immediately. Yeah. So yeah, we had to, yeah, we had to score three, and right at the end there was this wonderful goal that I'm trying to remember. This is really stupid because I should have. I should have just picked the goal I was going to pick, but I thought of this as I was thinking of it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm changing it again. Uh, there's a goal against Barcelona that we score in the group stages of the Champions League and the link-up play between mm-hmm. Andy Cole and Dwight yeah. York is absolute perfection. And I'm yeah. going to pick that goal because it's summarised uh, and it showcased the absolute best of those two players playing with each other uh, in the season that United reached their absolute peak. And it wasn't about individual brilliance, it was about the team. And I think that's what that United team was. So when you look at, say, the United team that won the Champions League final in 2008, people will look at Ronaldo. And then behind him, you know, there's Rooney and there's Tevez and there's uh, Michael Carrick and Paul Scholes and Brian Giggs and Rio Ferdinand. And there's loads of great players. But you can pinpoint individual brilliance that, 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 that made that team. But I think the team in the 1999-98-99 season, the thing that made them so great was that the, the players that we talk about as being the superstars, the Ryan Giggs, the David Beckhams, the, the Paul Scholes, they'd only been playing a couple of years. Yeah. They were all sort of 20, 21, 22. They weren't, they weren't sort of senior players in the team by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that goal brings together what that team was. They were a team beyond everything else. Yeah. And that's how I think they just kept winning. Yeah. To do it against Barcelona earlier as well is not exactly a mean feat, is it? Even then, they no, precisely. That, no, that that was a, the not rambly answer, that wasn't it? Yeah. No, it was good. You gave us a few highlights there as well. Um, I'm just well, looking at this. I've just pulled up the uh, report of the Juventus Manchester United match. 85th minute, York bundles through the last line of Juve's defence before being brought down by Peruzzi. The ball rolls on for Cole to ram into the. Yeah, end. that's the one I was thinking of because yeah. it was just such a it was such a moment that. Nothing that followed would have followed without that. And that was great. Um, but I think the, the one against Barcelona was wonderful. Any goals for you, uh, Joe, being the impartial one that, that stick out, Man United goals of the 90s? I mean, oh, I was just, 
I, I always oh. think Mark Hughes, semi-final, uh, Oldham, 90. Oldham, you know yeah. Who, yeah. Do, do you know who set that one up as well? Brian McClare, probably. <laughs> he did. He did. He, he flicked it over his own shoulder and he was cracked it into the back of the net. Brian McClare is the Zelig of 1990s Manchester United. He's always well, there. Yeah. You've just named three. He also set up Ryan Giggs for his first ever goal for United as well there against City. So. He's the Kevin De Bruyne yeah. of the 1990s. Yeah. We didn't even realise it, definitely. It's also um, Cantona versus Liverpool in the FA Cup final. Free kick, yeah. That was a that was was this the rotten game? Was this the yeah, white the suits game? White suit, yeah. But the way that the ball sails through the sort of up, you know, the knees, the raised yeah. knees of sort of four or five Liverpool defenders and just glides through is pretty beautiful, really. Yeah. But obviously that was the Cantona season. From a corner. Yeah. Um, go on, Matthew, finish it yeah, off. It what? Drops. It dropped, didn't he? Just smacked it. Uh, finish yeah, it off. It gets, like, it gets uh, like no. No room to, to... He can't approach the ball. He has to yeah. on the hop backwards. On the hop, like that, Sam. Uh, yeah, finish it off, Matthew. Your, what would be yours favourite goal of Man United in the 90s? I know this isn't really your, but we'll, we'll chip it in with you. Anyway. No, again, I'm trying to remember what I said, but the one that always stands out, and you'll probably remember this game, it was a FA Cup tie away at Wimbledon 93, uh, United in the green and gold oh, kit. The Newton and, um, yeah. and they demolished Wimbledon 3 you know, Wimbledon basically went out to try and kick them off the park and there were some great goals in that game Cantona scored a great sort of volley that he teed up himself and cracked it in but then there's also a great team goal at the end that Dennis Irwin scored there were about 10-15 passes I think it was and it was a great team goal and again it goes back to the first stage of that sort of United revolution a bit like in 98-99 when you had all the great link up with Cole York Giggs all those sort of young players um but this era of United, gelling and looking like a really effective team. and You had full-backs flying forward, Paul Parker, Dennis Irwin, you had Cantona, you had Hughes. I mean, that goal, if you ever get the chance to see it, it just sums up the, the way that United were starting to dominate English football back then. And it was, I mean, it was a great performance and there were some good goals across the board. But that one was just a brilliant team effort. And it was a, yeah, I think it got to about 15-odd passes and it came to um, Irwin in the edge of the box and it looked like he was going to, mess it up and he just shuffled it onto his wrong foot and then poked it into the corner and uh, I was there that day and it was uh, I remember drinking cans of white lightning in the way and someone must have Ooh, nice. someone, someone must have smuggled it in in their sock and it was classic because it was still terracing and everyone was just passing it around having a mouthful passing it on to the next person having a mouthful and um, yeah great game and great memory so off the top of my head I'd pick that one um, I think another Dennis Irwin got uh, the um, I think it was against Arsenal where Eric Cantona does that beautiful assist with the outside I, of his boot. I think it was Tottenham. It, I think Tottenham. It was Tottenham. He, he just, I believe so, yeah. And he just chips it over with the outside of the foot. In uh, yeah. looking for Eric, he talks about it in the film, doesn't he? As, as, as like yeah. a dream sequence. He says it's an assist. For the, I've only yeah. ever seen it once, but that bit always sticks yeah. out. Um, yeah, it was a great. Another great, great goal. Another great move, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some absolutely great goals there. Um, Les Ferdinand's got a great goal against Man United at Loftus Road once. Uh, I've just got now. I remember that. That was 3 2, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 3 2. Yeah. I was at that. Yeah, the goal, swivel, yeah. top corner. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Well done, Sir Les. Um, we talked a lot, we kind of talked about games a little bit there, Sam. So, mm-hmm. one of the you know, your favourite games would, I imagine would maybe be in that season, the treble season, seeing as you've talked about that a lot. Would, would, am I right, or is another game you're going to pick? Yes. Uh, the. That I sometimes I'm picking just the obvious things and I can't help that. Well, uh, but the the um, ask the FA Cup finals the semi final replay because watching it at the time 
if you're probably unless you're neutral is not a great game because I think sport is fascinating for what you count as a great game, what you don't count as a great game. Like I don't want to like, so um, may not be Arsenal eight, two, for example, like what 10 years ago, whatever in that game. It's not when you're watching it, it's fun. It's not a great game though, is it? Because only one team has turned up. Yeah. So you're enjoying it. And afterwards you're like, yeah, that was fun, but you're not going to talk about it. Like, like, like a, it's not a thriller. It's not. It's, it's like a, like a, I don't know. It's like a great game. If a boxing match, if the boxer's knocked out in one punch, you've not watched a great no, bout. True, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So, but if it goes to the wire, like so, both teams score. It's one all. Roy Keane is sent off. Arsenal get a penalty. That game had absolutely everything. So at the time, it's very stressful, and you're not necessarily enjoying it. It's just yeah. anxiety. That's all it is. But afterwards. Once you've seen it through, you can say that was absolutely incredible. What a joyride. What a roller coaster. That had absolutely everything. And for me, I think it's sometimes in football, it's trying to enjoy those. It's really hard to, but trying to enjoy those moments while they're happening and watching a game that you really have no idea who's going to win and being like, this is exactly what football should be because this is an absolute nightmare and I've no idea what's <laughs> happening and, and who's going to get what out of it. Yeah. Um, so I would pick that game because I think it, it did. It, it did everything. There's individual brilliance. There's madness. There's controversy. There's it just it just does it all. It ticks every box. Yeah. No. I, do you know? I think I think I tweeted this actually at the time when I was watching the Man United Arsenal game a couple of weeks ago. The, the one where uh, Obama Man got the goal. And I was like, this game used to be so pumped up. These two rivals, and you know, it all started in the back end of the nineties. And the fact that it's come up to pretty much a damp squib at the moment, considering where both teams are, are at, it's just. I miss that. And we haven't really got that because even the Liverpool-Man City rivalry is a little bit nicey-nicey. That was a proper, proper rivalry. Like, there was... I think you could argue that that was probably the greatest rivalry in, in English football. Yeah. I mean, if you think how long it went on for. Yeah. I mean, it went on for nearly... I mean, if you take it back to sort of the late uh, 80s, when late I 80s, believe it yeah. started with our friend Nigel Winterburn and, and Brian McClare. And then it went on to, you well, know, mention. <laughs> well, but you had to mention him in this this uh, instance. But I mean, that was eighty seven. There'd been a, an issue in the game before that in eighty seven. Then you had the rumble at <clears throat> Old Trafford in nineteen ninety, and then you think the rivalry was still going on in two thousand and two. Yeah, I mean, what two thousand five yeah. still? I mean, with the cup final. I mean, that's you never really had rivalries go on that long in English football, have you? I mean, you've had dynasties that have sort of collided. I mean, you had Liverpool and Forest in the late seventies. And you had, yeah, like you say, you had Liverpool and City, but that's never really ignited. Yeah, they nasty. haven't had the success, I don't think. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like those they, two they teams have won trophies, but United win the treble the season after Arsenal have won the double. Yeah, in terms of sharing trophies, there's never been yeah. anything like it. I mean, you've had a crossover of teams coming to an end and someone else taking their place, but I mean, toing and throwing like that. And I don't want to sound like one of these sort of shock jocks, but I mean, it was. It, it was the biggest rivalry in English football by far because you just never had 20-odd years of, of, uh, of a tussle like that. So, I mean, if, I mean, you've got to think if it's going to happen again, that means Liverpool and City, essentially, have got to win. One team's got to win the treble, then the following year someone yeah. wins the double. And, that, and, all the time, yeah. and all the time they were fighting amongst each other, literally, and in the table for the, for the title. I mean, that is just incredible... Um, incredible set of events really um, and it happened organically as well like over those years didn't it it wasn't like they you know big money came in and one team became a force you know arsenal may united became a force by kind of the old school way by ha- they were always big clubs but it was good management good recruitment 
and then winning trophies and that's that's what happened and that's how they become rivals and then, yeah when i was watching that game a couple of weeks ago i was just like what has this game become and it made me think we're really missing that i know i'm talking i'm getting a yellow card to myself here because we're talking modern football but it's it's something that we definitely miss in the game what do you say joe the thing is ash he's come here from japan true <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a nine-year period where the champion of English football is just one of United or Arsenal. Yeah. And in the season that that other team hasn't won, it's nearly always the other one is runner-up. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like we Arsenal had... Arsenal only won it a couple of times in that period. Obviously, it's United yeah. all over. But that's, that's not, there's nothing even close to that now. No. It's almost like we, even, we had kind of the Rangers-Celtic or the Real Madrid-Barcelona thing, and we didn't yeah. even really acknowledge it even throughout that period it's kind of it just happened and because it was so enjoyable no one really minded that it was always the, the top two um we're going to talk about my favorite subject next um which yeah. people long-time listeners will love to know <laughs> that's behind me as, as we'll give you a clue to those watching there uh favorite kit sam of and i think this is a great subject for main united as well because they've had yeah. classics in the 90s what mm-hmm. what one are you what one are you going for uh i so there are some lovely kits during that era. Some really nice ones. Um, I'm going to think outside the box. Uh, it's a grey kit we wore at St. Mary's just for 45 minutes. <laughs> I like that. That was the Dell, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah. it the Dell? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was the Dell. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, it's the Dell. Yeah, St. Mary's. I actually, the I actually think that's a nice kit, regardless of the I actually think it's quite a nice yeah, kit. It's, it's nice not my favourite, obviously. Yeah. I think it's a nice kit. It's a nice uh, kit. I think the kit um, that has the has like the lace in oh, the... Oh, we're talking. Is so nice. One. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, but no, 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 no. It's, a, it's a red kit. Yeah, the, the, Mem- the Memphis Depay recently, yeah, he, had it on, he wore it on Instagram like a couple of months ago. So now if you want to buy one, they cost about 500 quid. <laughs> uh, but mine is, that, yeah. no, I, I get, people, I, people can criticise me and that's okay. Uh, my favourite is specifically the Champions League strip that we wore in 98-99. Oh, and I'm not just trying to pick things from that season. But that was a kit just for the Champions League, yeah. and it was quite shiny. It was quite shiny Very red. So shiny. Yeah. in the evening, under the floodlights, it looked really good. But also, it had. Uh, it was all. I mean, I don't know what technical embroidery words are, and I'm sure <laughs> embossed isn't one of them. Yeah. But it was almost embossed with with the Champions League ball and Old Trafford, and it had loads going on with inside the shirt itself. It was an absolutely beautiful football kit. Yeah, that is my. Favorite one, but there are lo- like the black one that everybody always associates with. Eric Cantona yeah. is another, I think, iconic '90s football kit. But for me, it's it's that one. Sam, how do you feel about the seven? The '97 the, kit's great. The maple leaf kit, because I think that's the one that gets rolled out in the. It's one of my favorites, but I'm saying it because we recently had an Adidas kind of I think they were called Human Race, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kit they had. That's the one that they, you know, they, it's like the banana, Bruce Banana, the Arsenal kit. It's like the Man United. Yeah. Does that rank in yours? I mean, that's a classic Man United. It, it is. It's a, be- it's a. It's an endlessly beautiful football shirt. Um, yeah. And it's almost. I mean, maybe this is wrong because I, you know, just say words as you think of them. I think it's almost. It's almost too nice in that there's no era that that isn't a nice football shirt. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not inherently nineties. Yeah. Uh, but then I suppose the Champions League shirt I picked maybe isn't either. I like it's got a massive collar on it though. Mass- I'm a big fan um, of But I think that it's just a really nice shirt. People would wear that as I think just a as like a t-shirt or whatever, just anyway. Yeah. Because I think it's really nice. It's just a really nice kit. Yeah. They yeah. absolutely nailed it when they came up with that one. 
yeah i mean they got criticized didn't they for releasing a champions league shirt but i've i've never got any problem with that i'm not i like seeing new kits every season i know yeah absolutely i like kits bring yeah. them out let's see yeah. them. i get every summer i get i'm glued to historicalfootballkits.co.uk and they draw the new kits that's usually yeah on my tab every day going oh they updated it um yeah, i think um what what do you what do you think of the current third strip the current i've got no i mean my, my only problem with I think some of the, like the third strips, I think they're trying to be ironic, iconic now, sorry. I think they're trying to be that Maple Leaf kit or the Bruce Banana so that people in 20 years' time will go, oh, do you remember the Zebra kit or whatever they were going to call it? I think they're trying a little bit too hard to be really different. I don't mind it. It's, it's a bit bonkers, but I'm all for that because we're on a 90s football podcast when kits were out there, they're most bonkers. But I don't, in the 90s they weren't trying to be that was just the theme that was just the era mm -hmm. we weren't they weren't trying to be all that's feel like this is going to be an iconic shirt in 30 years time i don't think that was it i think they just had a cool design whereas now i think they're trying to make those shirts more iconic so that people in setting a number of years go oh look at that shirt um, like the juventus tiger pattern they've got this the orange mm -hmm. tiger thing as well i think there's a lot to be said about i think some design, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle because I always hate templated kits because it's just the most laziest design process ever. But at the same time, I've, when they go too far, I'm like, mm, okay. Joel, don't, don't you have a Man United kit in your office, actually? Or it, in isn't your my, it isn't my Manchester United kit, but I do have the, the black one is here somewhere with oh. seven in glorious gold lettering on the back. But unfortunately, it's not to hand. I just ran off and disappeared if anybody was watching. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I can't find it. I mean, is it the is it the original one, Joe, or is it one of these? I think Umbro. Have, I think Umbro have remade. Oh, I hate when they do that. No, my, my, yeah. my biggest pet hate in kits is when clubs and keep your eye. I've done it this season. Um, re release a retro shirt, and it's the same, but it hasn't got the whoever made the kit at the time. And, yeah, and in the, the label, it's like the you know, QPR club shop. Yeah, and it's yeah. like no, that's not. I don't know. Not everyone can have the original, but especially during England time, because I see so many England fans walking around with a 1990 shirt that was just non-umbro blue one. Non-umbro, and uh, yeah, I know I'm being an absolute kit snob, but yeah, it um, drives me up. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Because like, I think 2018, I was wearing my uh, 92 with the three massive lions, the cowardly lion shirt, as uh, John Devlin calls it, the kit guru um and someone said oh did you get that from um score draw or retro and i was just you know the horror well, is he still alive to <laughs> tell that, to that tale he's lucky i had a, didn't have a pint because it might have been thrown in his face no, i'm only joking but yeah it's um it's not it's no not, i got it from 1992 yeah <laughs> it's an original from 1992 and it's uh, it's beautiful it's very beautiful um matthew let's finish off the year what would be your chosen kit i mean we've mentioned schmeichel earlier i mean he had some Belters of some goalkeeping kits. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of those keepers kits. Apart from the one in 91, 92, when it was, I think we've discussed it before, it was sort of green and black and white, sort of, it looked like a, a Geiger counter reading. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of a look. But I didn't really like it when they went all sort of triangular in, in the late or mid 90s. But I mean, we, you know the answer to this because we discussed it at our live show with Nigel Winterburn. Oh, we did. Like, yeah. A summer or so ago. And it's no surprise for anyone that ever listens to me rambling on here, but it's that it's the blue maple leaf 
Yeah. United exactly. Away yeah. circa 91, 1991, yeah. 92. I just thought it was a great kit. And it, I just associate it with a great era for United because it was a, that kind of time when they, they hadn't turned into the world beaters that they went on to become in the later part of the decade. But they were just starting to click. They had that run to Wembley in the Rumblows Cup run when they beat Arsenal 6-2 away. And, um, Is that when you beat Middlesbrough in the semi-final? Is this what you're trying to say, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, the two-legged semi-final. And um, yeah, it was just a good era. And uh, I'd, yeah, I mean, that's it's just an iconic kit. I've still got it. I've got it in the kid's size, so it's probably not worth anything anymore. But uh, <laughs> that Maple Leaf kit, whatever size it is, is always... Well, I could, I don't know, I'll try and see if I can squeeze into it. But um, <laughs> but I just remember, I think I've told them... Can you, before, send, I can you send us old pictures of that? Cause yeah, I don't want to see pictures of that. <laughs> I might try, yeah, all right, I might try, actually. Um, but um, I just remember seeing it in the when back in the glory days of when kits had such a sort of soft launch. You didn't have all this reveal that you do now that you you love so much, Ash. You know the sort of countdown and the big press releases and all the, the kind of thing that gets you you hot under the collar. But <laughs> you just used to like open the back of match or shoot in the summer and look at the new kits that were on display and you'd think, hang on a minute, what's that? And yeah, of course, yeah. it was only a small little picture of it on a mannequin or a model or something you know and you'd say what the hell's that and then of course Lee Sharp look, pointing at something yeah yeah and you'd desperately <laughs> be going around looking to see where it was out and quite often I'd order it without ever seeing it you know and then it would come through 28 days later you know postage and packing and uh, and that's what happened with that kit and it turned out it, it arrived after 27 days of the 28 days <laughs> yeah and uh, I just remember thinking this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen and, and I just remember how weird the shorts were as well I don't know if you remember but the shorts were kind of like very vivid blue, it's like a different yeah, blue from the shirt. Different. Yeah, um, and oh, I just had a, such a great look. Blue, wouldn't they? I yeah, um, yeah. And, and I just remember that team. You know, Danny Wallace and Neil Webb, Lee Sharp was just coming through the ranks. Hughes, um, I think there was some fella called McClare playing back then as well. <laughs> right, that is it. Bad in Brian's name from now on. Um, I remember watching that Arsenal six-two game actually on Sports Night because that was always, yeah. been like a Wednesday or Tuesday night game, and I remember my dad taped it, and then in the morning I got up and I, that, I always remember Lee Sharp doing his celebration in that maple leaf kit, and yeah, and also came to mind then you talked about delivery. I remember waiting over twenty-eight days for I think it was GI Joe poster and figures. Wait ages Ooh. for that. Just suddenly it popped into my brain about waiting a long time for postage. I remember just waiting years. Sam, you know, Sam does lots of work with Thunderbirds. Is Thunderbirds still on the go, Sam? Uh, I don't, well, it's not on at the minute. Well, it might be on, but we, we're not showing it at the minute. Nah, I worked on it when it first came over here. Yeah. I think that was you before did. I met you, when it first came back. Yeah, I know I used to have to get up at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning to watch it. And do you pre-record the Saturday morning show? Yeah. All oh, right, well, so you weren't up, but I was. What's on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always the man behind the man, isn't it, Joe? That's what it is. We've got a few more to go on because uh, well, before we before we head off, um, this one's interesting because um, I don't actually know if this is an obvious pick, and I think this will, as we do more of these with other guests, be quite interesting as well. Man United villain Sam of the nineteen. Yeah. So uh, I thought about that, and I thought, well, anyone that played for Arsenal. Uh, but there was no one I, there was no one I really I really really disliked like when I like a few years later I would end up really despising Martin Keown after the Ruben Venistero penalty incident to, to the point that I, there was times as an adult I've gone I really shouldn't hate him so much he's just a man who reacted during a game of football and then I remember what he did and I really get quite well, cross yeah. uh, but the answer I have is Diego Simeone ah uh, okay. ah ah 
So are we having this? His... Yeah, go on. Go on. For, well, well, I'm um, assuming we're going England Beckham. Is yes, that I was going? for feigning feigning uh, injury to the smallest of knocks, and um, David Beckham obviously was very naive and being sent off. And it's a bit of a cheap one because really Simeone didn't do a lot wrong. Obviously he dived because yeah. I mean it, I think Sir Alex said that he didn't kick him with the power to break an egg. Which is probably <laughs> accurate, um, but I loved David Beckham uh, yeah. when I was a kid, and uh, well, I love him now. And it was like it, it was something I couldn't join in the the bandwagon against David Beckham. I just I just felt upset that it existed, mm. and the reaction but, was unbelievable yeah. in terms of yeah. vitriol, and it was it was almost like people were looking for an excuse to dislike David Beckham because it's, it's incredible, like, isn't it? It seemed like he'd had that charmed life up until then. You know, he was scoring goals from the halfway line. He was winning championships. He was getting picked for England. He was, you know, getting married to a pop star. And I think there was a lot of that bundled into that rather than just the kick out and the England loss in the tournament. But in terms of overreaction, effigies of the man being hung in the uh, street. I mean, it's absolutely... I mean, you look at it, you think that, that there's like a lot of hate in the world now with Twitter and social media and all the rest of it. But that was just clearly insane. And it wasn't just a one-off thing. This happened in places across the country. So you, yeah. you get the feeling it was a lot of pent-up jealousy that kind of led to that nuts reaction. And even if you were like, well, he's an idiot. Even as a kid, I was like, yeah, but could you be bothered making a, a Guy Fawkes of him? And yeah, no, the effort. I'd be like, oh, well... Imagine you know, Twitter now, though. Imagine if they had Twitter then. It just absolutely been... Maybe there'd be no effigies. Maybe the people with keyboard well, that's it it's, it's, it's a much easier way to vent your frustration isn't it but you're right, right. imagine like grown men just sat at home being like what are you doing oh i'm just i'm stuffing this david beckham effigy i'm making a carrier bag so it really it's really padded out uh, and then i'm gonna hang it from a lamppost yeah so that's a good afternoon's work yeah buying the yeah. shirt of his name and number on it just so you can yeah. hang it and burn it well that who's that helping yeah uh, it's like the uh, it's like when the it's a ridiculous comparison, but like when they burnt the Beatles records in the sixties in in the Deep South in America, and, and the Beatles were just like, yeah, well, they've still got to buy the records. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. J.K. Rowling always says that, doesn't she? Because um, uh, I think religious fanatics will will suggest that books about witches and stuff are not appropriate for God fearing <laughs> children or whatever, and so they burn them. And her response is always, well, you bought it. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Now, what you do with it once you bought it. <laughs> yeah. there's, a Jimmy Car- there's a Jimmy Carr thing when, when anybody heckles him, he'll just like open his jacket and go, eh, I've still got your 25 quid. Yeah. And he's got 25 big quid in his pocket ready to go, you know. I thought, that, I thought about that, about the four people that bought my 90s football book. I, you know, they bought it. I'm happy. Whatever they think about it now, if it's a doorstop or whatever, at least they, you know, they bought it. So thanks very much for that, guys. Um, <laughs> Matthew, do you have any villains from Man United from that era that you that instantly spring to mind? Or do you have to ask? <laughs> Not Brian Clare. No, well, he was a villain in the 80s because he missed a penalty at Arsenal in the, the cup fifth round, but that's 80s. I don't want to get a yellow card. Yeah. Dennis Bailey. Oh, of course. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. We'll take that. Yeah. We'll take I mean, that. You don't, I mean, in fairness, I'm, I wasn't really one for hating opposition players by this day. I was when I was a lot younger. I used to hate people like Barnes and Beardsley and Aldridge and Steve McMahon because they were just so good for that Liverpool team in, in the 80s. But since then, I've, I've grown up to realise and appreciate just how good they were. And, and I've met a few of them in the years since and I've sort of almost apologised. It really spoils it, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah and, I, and I've almost apologised to them for, for hating them, and, and they're all nice. I've always been nice people, and uh, but that's just how you feel when you're about seven, eight, nine. That's yeah. what makes the whole Beckham thing so ridiculous that these guys are like in their thirties. Yeah, I mean, by the time I was that age, I, you know, I just didn't care anymore. I mean, I probably didn't care anymore after about the age of about eighteen, or whenever I could get sneak into a pub. That's good to say. Buy, I've got one. Buy beer and, yeah, go to a bookies and buy fags or whatever. But no, for for argument's sake, I'll say Dennis Bailey because he did really stick a knife in that title challenge of United uh, in ninety one ninety two. Although saying that, that they they've only got themselves to blame. I mean, that was a obviously a huge defeat. Uh, Allegedly, because they went out on the lash for Fergie's birthday. Hey, don't take before. it away from us. Don't take it. Away. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, after that, United still had plenty of chances to to seal the league and, and blew it. So, but for the for argument's sake, I'll say Dennis Bailey, just because it gives you an excuse to talk about that game. That that four one Old Trafford, night night two. Yeah, I think the match. Do you know what you four one? You say? Do you know who scored for United in that game? Brian McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> I should actually, oh, Sam, uh, this was going to be your podcast, but I think it's going to be the Brian McLaren episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a lovely time. Yeah, it's good. Do you want to know my Manchester United villain? Go on. Roy Keane, because he punched Jan Agafjord off square on the jaw during a Manchester United versus Middlesbrough game, got sent off for it as well. Um, can you remember that? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually struggling to remember that. He absolutely socked Fjord off right on the jaw, got instantly sent off. I think it'll have been oh, 96. Well, if Fjord off was yeah, playing Fjord, for us, it was yeah, 96, I thought. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go right in. But we always had quite a cordial relationship, we being Middlesbrough. We always had quite a cordial relationship with Manchester United because obviously they won the league at our place. And I was just saying this to Matthew earlier on in, in the greatest the greatest line of all time where Brian Robson played half the old Manchester United second 11 who were playing for Borough at the time. And he, his line was, Alan Miller had been playing really well in goal for us and Robson just decided to change him for the accident-prone Gary Walsh because it would be nice. Because <laughs> it would be nice. Manchester United won 3-0 yeah. and won the league. And then two busloads of um, Newcastle fans decided to jump in a bus and come down to Middlesbrough and smashed the town up, to which I thought, well, how would we notice? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a great day. We had a great, we had a great party with all the Manchester United fans that day because there was only us and Sunderland and Manchester United who didn't want Newcastle to win the league. Everybody else wanted. That's true. Yeah. Uh, wanted Newcastle to win the league and not United. So we we had a lovely. Day and uh, Manchester City famously went down that day as well. Do you remember? Uh, when they thought they needed Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Ball, yeah. Alan Ball. Yeah, bless his soul. Um, right, I'll, 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 I'm ultimately the category for, for Sam here almost. Um, we're go- we won't do this long form because we'll be here for another Zoom call of 40 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> your 1 to 11, the ni- your 90s Manchester United team. Now, so your pick doesn't have to be considered who would say the best, but who would be in your 90s Man United 11, Sam? Uh, it's not going to be very surprising, I mm. think. is probably a fair assessment of the players now. Uh, Peter Schmeichel in goal obviously, talked about him, he's incredible um, mm. Gary Neville at right back because he would always be my right back in anything I imagine. Yeah. Can't think of many scenarios in which I wouldn't put him at right back um, because he was so good at it yeah. um, and also I think I think, in a, I think he's one of those players who actually I think the like Roy Keane I think status as a player has really diminished in his since he's retired I, people talk about him as like 
you know, getting in fights and they talk about the tunnel and Highbury and everything. But no one talks about how great Roy Keane was as a footballer. And to an extent, I think that's kind of true of Gary Neville because he's also, he always talks about himself as, you know, he worked much harder than yeah. everybody else. And, but he was like, as an attacking fullback, he was brilliant. I think it's a testament to him that when you talk about England fullbacks of the 90s and even into the next decade, you cannot, there isn't anyone else. Like, no, that's, a, that's exactly it. Yeah, there's, there's no there's other nobody. option. There's literally no, like, Rob Jones at the beginning of the decade, then he got injured, and then that's about it until we get to Glenn Johnson. And even Glenn Johnson wasn't as good as Gary Neville. No. Yeah. Uh, then Dennis Irwin uh, at left back, who's probably the maybe the best right footed left back ever. Yeah. Fair um, Steve Bruce and Yapstam at centre-back. I thought about that one a little bit. I thought yeah. about putting Ronnie Johnson in with Yapstam because yeah. Ronnie Johnson was Yapstam's partner. Uh, but you could partner, I think, Yapstam with the traffic cone and <laughs> it would still be... It would still look really good because yeah. Yapstam was so good. Uh, cone, I'm sure he's played for QPR at some point yeah. in his career. <laughs> the, uh, the midfield will be the obvious midfield of yeah. um, Beckham, Skulls, Keane... And uh, Ryan Giggs, obviously. Uh, and then uh, my two centre forwards, I'm going to pick uh, Ollie Solskjaer, who was always one of my favourite players, always, yeah. uh, and Eric Cantona. Nice. That's a bit. I don't, how they would, I don't know how they would get on together as a, as a, a partnership if they were starting games like that. Uh, but I think, well, I think they would do different things. Yeah, I like that because I think up front is the hardest sort of choice because obviously you mentioned already York and Cole, um, you could have. Had- yeah. Somebody else we mentioned a few times on here, Mark Hughes as well, yeah. of course, earlier in Teddy. the decade. Teddy, of course, yeah, Teddy as well. So, yeah, difficult one. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that, Matthew? I, I'm sure yours will be slightly different, but that's, um, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a pretty meaty 11. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really argue with any of that. Did you, you didn't have Robson in your midfield, did you? No, and do you know what? I probably, I obviously... Although, in fairness, by, by this stage, it's it's I'm not really... Yes, yeah. it's hard, isn't it? He would have probably, I'd have probably put him in there for sentimental reasons, but in the 90s, you could it probably be difficult to make a case for him being in a United 90s 11. I mean, obviously, and then who would you who would you who would you take out? In skulls, yeah, well, whoever was playing in the number nine shirt, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think I would really. I mean, I think the back four you can, I definitely agree with Erwin and um, Neville. Uh, you, you can't you can't leave Irwin out. I mean, we spoke about him earlier on about that great goal at Wimbledon. Yeah. I mean, one of the most underrated United players in any era. Um, back four, you could maybe make a case for, yeah, Bruce or Pallister or Bruce or what a another. Yeah, I, maybe Robson in midfield, but again, I wouldn't put him in on the basis of nineties. And yeah, then you could you've just got the the great selection of strikers that they've had in that decade to to pick and choose from. I mean, I suppose Solskjaer is probably one of the more controversial ones because he purely because he never really held down a, a regular, a regular place. place. But that doesn't make him any less a, of a legend or a great player. So, um, yeah. And again, Hughes was sort of coming to, well, not coming to the end of his time, but I mean, a lot of what he did, at, great stuff he did at United was probably just a little bit before this. So, Not, not much love for Paul Ince from the both of you. No, that's true, actually. Uh, but then again, he doesn't seem to get into a lot of these great United no. teams. And it's I really like, liked Paul Ince in the 90s. Yeah, and he, he, I mean, I've, again, going back to this petty thing of people going, oh, well, he signed for Liverpool and all that. I mean, that never bothered me. I don't get that. I mean, of course, if he was pushed out, that well, he left the club yeah. and he had every right to go where he went. And I haven't got an issue with that. But he seems to have tarnished his reputation 
among some fans because he went to Liverpool. But I mean, again, that's ridiculous. But um, as a player, I mean, do you remember, you know, when he arrived at United, 89, 90, he was the hottest property going. Yeah. He was about 20, 21, and he'd already made a name for himself at West Ham. And he was a really exciting sort of gung-ho midfielder, wasn't he? And um, if you think about it, he was part of every great, you know, all those great, great teams in the, yeah. in the early um, to mid-90s. I mean, he was part of it. So, yeah, he doesn't get probably the recognition he deserves and yeah, sort I, of I, gets I, ignored except for when he says something like if he says something negative about the club and then the yeah. headline will be United legend Paul Lintz says yeah I don't know how many United fans would ever describe Paul Lintz as a legend well it probably would have done if he, he yeah he falls into that category of not it's a bit like Mark Hughes Mark Hughes is, is sort of splits opinion because he left and went to manage City and all that but again that's just pathetic because I mean What's he supposed to do? Never go to another club again? I mean, I'd quite like it yeah. if he never came to QPR. If I'm well, I'm sure a lot of <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of fans hope he doesn't come as manager. But as a as a player, I mean, you can't you can't take away what he did, and it annoys me that he sort of people sort of turn their nose up at Hughes for that reason. But um, yeah, Ince, I think maybe Ince maybe is overshadowed slightly by the Keane factor. I think people just yeah. go on about what a great box to box midfielder Roy Keane was, whereas they forget that Ince was that player before Keane, really, wasn't he? I mean, he was the, the sort of younger version, and then Keane came along and um, sort of eclipsed him. But no, I mean, Ince was Ince was pivotal in some of those great, great sides of the nineties. Even even you know before that, before the glory days, you know, he was part of the um, the Rotterdam team, you know, and, and those those yeah. sides that that paved the way for what we knew was would, would come in the in the coming years. So yeah, I as guilty as anyone for leaving him out because I. I forgot to mention him as well, but um, not for any reason. Interesting. I was a big fan of him, mainly from an England point of view, obviously, but yeah, I always liked Paul Lynch. Did you like Paul Lynch at Borough, Paul? Um, yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, very good player, captain of the club. Yeah. Um, liked him a lot. Came in that sort of weird, when we came back up, we got him, I mean, I've, I've said, told this story a million times, but the year we got relegated, we were about to buy Ince Gascoigne, uh, Ince Gascoigne who came anyway, Romario, Roberto, Mario. Mario, Roberto Carlos and Des Walker was the weird. So yeah, but then Inson Gascoigne came anyway. Love and uh, yeah, always like Paul Ince. He, he was in a very kind of workaday midfield, I suppose, yeah, yeah. at Townsend. And it was all very scrappy, scrappy, scrappy. I remember we went to Arsenal in, I think, 2001. And we handed Manchester United the league because they scored two on goals. We had no shots on target and we won 3-1. I think one one was an inch shot that sort of cannoned off somebody's arse and and flew in, and then there was two on goals and the league went to United maybe two thousand and one two thousand and two yeah. I can't quite remember. Yeah, but I always the brain uh, goes fuzzy during the two thousand. Well, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, always liked him at the club. But obviously, it was the, the Riverside Stadium, Old Folks Home by that time, so everybody was coming to us, for, you know, a nice little kick on and and hang out with Ryan Robson and see what happened next, you know. Right, we spent far too long talking about Paul Lynch now. I didn't really mean for that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sam, my final question before we do our little new feature at the end as well. Um, we've talked a lot about Man United, obviously, but if mm-hmm. we're talking outside of Old Trafford, which is a question I've asked many times on this podcast, who mm-hmm. for you favourite player of the 90s, non-Manchester United Pacific? I am not entirely convinced there is um, an appropriate answer to this question that isn't Ronaldo. <laughs> and if somebody was a, to give one, he's a favourite. He's a big favourite. Yeah. I think they'd have to argue for a long time that it wasn't Ronaldo. Yeah, El Phenomenon. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, the original, maybe the best. Just unbelievable. Everything he did was exciting. Everything. I always think Ronaldo was like watching the rest of the team on amateur at FIFA and he was expert. <laughs> whatever he did, like, and his injuries are beyond a shame because he could have been, you know, when people talk about this era and Ronaldo and Messi, he, for me, could have been above them because he was, as his nickname was, he was phenomenal. Um, I always think of that performance at Old Trafford. I know that was going into the next decade, but even, that was even after a host of injuries as well. But the yeah. season at Barcelona, the stuff he did at Inter Milan, absolutely frightening footballer. The fact that he was around in 94 for the 94 World Cup, I know he didn't play, he always, bat- always sort of baffles my mind as well that he was you know, considered that good that young. But yeah, we've, we've spoke a lot about him, haven't we guys, on here, Ronaldo. I mean, there isn't much more we can add. But um, go on, Joe, add a little bit more anyway. What, about Ronaldo? Yeah. Can I not, <laughs> can I not just talk about Juninho instead? <laughs> that's my specialist subject. That well, that's the first mention for it. Oh, the second mention for second it. Mention. Yeah. Intro. Yeah. But yeah, obviously. I mean, he sort of... The, the funny thing about Ronaldo is obviously the World Cup in 98 and whatever happened... Was he injured? The panic was there a panic attack? Was it a, was it pressure from Nike um, put onto him? So and 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 because they lost in quite a decisive fashion in that match, it's always a sort of cloud over him. But I think if you look at him in those uh, early times at Barcelona and when Robson got hold of him first at uh, PSV, wasn't it Eindhoven yeah. and to uh, Barcelona? Uh, and you look at that, and that's just incredible. He's he's everything, isn't he? It's like. I think, I think sometimes you get shocked when you meet a certain football players, especially strikers, and uh, about how physically big they are. And because especially somebody like Ronaldo, you kind of look at him and just go, well, skillful, and he's probably just the same size as me, in brackets, uh, sorry, in inverted commas. But then, you know, you realise that he's got all that muscle. He's got this massive arse to push people out of the way. And he's got this delicate touch. Uh. And I think... That's the kind of thing that you you always sort of look at. And there is, you know, and, and like you said, the injuries and things cost him and, and whatever backstage shenanigans went on with Nike and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, just splendid. He was, through that time, he was the uh, he was the standard bearer, really. He yes. was the sort of choice. If, you were, if there was a World Cup special of shoot coming out or whatever, it was always... Ronaldo on the yeah. resplendent yeah. resplendent in his yeah. Brazilian kit. So, yeah. Yeah, good choice. Good choice there, Sam. Right, we're going to introduce a new feature now, which I'm going to ask every guest to do um, this series. Uh, we're calling it the 90s broom cupboard, because I love the term broom cupboard, because it's classic 90s. And we're asking me and, guests... Me and Sam lived in a broom cupboard. There you go, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. it earlier. So, um, we're going to get guests to pick uh, a an item or a player or a moment or something that's very 90s and it's going in our 90s broom cupboard. So, Sam, what have you come up with for us? The kits. And <laughs> yeah. I bear with me. Not the, not the design of the kits or anything, yeah. but the tailoring. Ooh. Find a photo of Bag a footballer it. in the 90s, yeah, wearing a football kit where their, their waist couldn't fit through the sleeve if they wanted to. <laughs> They're so big. Yeah. Like, there's, there's pictures of people like holding the FA Cup and like their sleeves are just like they just hang off them. Yeah, I don't understand who designed them or why they were made that big, but <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, they so are. So that's it. I'm glad that is gone. Sometimes yeah. people go too far and like Puma like making ones that are like skin tight. Yeah, but just a regular fitting football shirt is fine. 
but the so, kids in the a, 90s were unexplainable yeah like Janino is a good example because he was a small guy as well but every yeah. newsbro kit that he ever wore looked like it was his dad's it, it was just so so huge and surely a, like tugging shirts that's yeah Brian, makes no sense does it it makes no sense it was like when IRS was a wrestler in WWF and he wore a tie <laughs> wore a suit yeah, yeah. Was like, what are you doing mate he's just gonna grab you by the tie it's um, ridiculous actually sorry that was very niche but that's what it made me thought of. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna ask Sam a question now regarding football kits and I will own up to this as well when we did the uh, Football Republic Euro 2016 Sam mm-hmm. did you steal any football kits because we had <laughs> no we I had didn't kit- we had kits from every single team in that, that tournament. That to me sounds like Joe was ready to make a I absolutely stole a kit. I could go get it. I could, oh, oh, so, hold on, two seconds. Talk. I think he stole the Northern Ireland kit because I've seen a picture. It didn't even clarify whose it was. I think I don't it's know. Northern Ireland. I, um, hold on, I'm coming back. There you go. I stole yeah, Northern Ireland. This one. <laughs> yeah. Northern Ireland. Uh, very nice kit, actually. Adidas, three stripes with the thing. But yeah. I stole this. So fine, you know, but somebody, maybe the boss, told me, you can take a shirt if you want to take a shirt. So I took Northern Ireland. It's very nice. I didn't. And I, I may well have been offered the same opportunity, but I don't, ah. I don't think that was what I wanted. Ah, well, fair enough. Maybe one day I'll look back at that and it'll, I'll rue it. But at the moment, <laughs> I'm quite happy not to have a... I can't think of the kits and which one I would have stolen, but I can't think of one that's... We had everything. Albania. We did, we did, there was literally every country. Yeah, because we had about the, six Iceland shirts for some reason. The Mike template of the England, France, they all look the yeah. same, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. A big fan of those kids. But that is a lovely Northern Ireland kit for sure. Um, well, thanks, well, thanks for ending on that like, criminal note there, uh, Joe. Um, <laughs> I'm all right. No, I was offered. You're I'm offered amazed he only right. took one. Yeah, I'm amazing. <laughs> um, Sam, thank uh, you. Sorry, he's much. only admitted to one. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is the bit thank where you, me. you can get to plug anything you want to plug. So, as you mentioned, how this Sunday? Oh, yeah. No, uh, I don't know. Do good things. Be nice to people. Yeah. Kick footballs. What's, what's how going on? Is it going on? Because it's you and Vic, isn't it? And who else? Uh, yeah, and a guy called Frankie. Okay. Uh, who is, uh, by the way, he would, uh, he'd be a great guest on here. He used to be uh, a professional freestyler. Nice. Oh, wow. He okay. does things with a football that you can't believe. Yeah. But they, he's unbelievable. And he's like he's traveled the world just turning up and making people's jaws drop by doing stuff with footballs. Uh, and is it on ITV incredible. then, Sam, or is it on CITV? Yeah, or, yeah on, on ITV. ITV on Sunday. And then I assume, but I don't know, every Sunday following at half past eight. Brilliant. Catch that. Lovely. Old school, gone new school with, with Sam. And where can follow, people follow you on the social if they want to follow you on there? Uh, just search my name, I suppose, which is Sam Homewood. And then. You'll find there. it and you'll get some good mundane content. <laughs> yeah, so no, you don't, that's not fair, Sam. You have some very good Manchester United stuff going on. There's always you with your arm around, well, in the old days, you, your arm around David May or your arm around... Yeah, we have a, social distance. We have a lovely now. old time, David May and I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get him on the show. Get him to come on the show. David May, David May yeah. never did anything apart from score against Middlesbrough. Well, there you go. It's worth talking about something. It's worth talking about uh, Middlesbrough. Joe, yeah. where can people find you on? What are you actually on now? I'm Instagram. only on Instagram these Instagram, days. I got, yeah. off, I got kicked off Twitter for shouting at Nazis, and yeah, I don't want to go back. I don't care. They don't, they're not going to let me back in the party. I don't care. Um, yes, that Joel on Instagram, or you know, whatever, wherever people, you know, but people, somebody followed us last night. I think who followed 
suddenly all of us, because I was like, who's this person? And he oh, somebody, somebody wants their Northern Ireland kit back, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it was, probably, yeah. We, I think we probably got it for free in the first place. I was told by Neil Smythe and by we Max Patterson that I was allowed to take a kit if I wanted to take a kit, so I took it. Okay, Joe, it's okay, we believe you. Uh, Matthew, you uh, I don't. I don't believe him. Oh, yeah, we don't If you'd have been there, were you there on the last show on the final? I can't remember. I can't remember. Wizzy, um, maybe you and Wizzy, I think, on the last show. Yeah, I tell you who else, do you know, sorry, a random sidetrack. We did one of those with Mo Gilligan. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, I mean, his life has changed drastically um, since then. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the winning Mo, Mo Gilligan. Show, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. There you go. Matthew, where can people find you on the stage? Well, uh, you know, I'm proud to announce I haven't been kicked off any social media well done. platforms. <laughs> um, so you can find me on Twitter at Matthew J. Christ. And just to annoy Joel, on Instagram, it's the same handle. At Matthew J. No, I think that I think it should be uniform across the things. You know what I mean? That's what I think. Um, well, you can follow me at Ashrays UK, but more importantly, I haven't said this for a while. Follow the show at AK Nineties on Twitter and AK Nineties Pod on Instagram. And uh, yeah, join us next time. We've got three shows in the can, so we're not going anywhere. Don't worry, we'll be back um, talking Alan Shearer in a couple of weeks. We've got some authors on as well, and possibly some WWE superstars talking about. Oh yes, I'm coming on for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's all in the pipeline. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it nineties.